Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CartmacrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 10th of April. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The United Kingdom will crash out of the European Union on Friday unless an 11th hour solution is found. The 11th hour will occur when leaders meet tonight at an emergency European Council summit aimed at preventing a no-deal Brexit the day after tomorrow. Yesterday, the British Prime Minister went to Germany and France with a begging bowl but came back apparently empty-handed after meeting with Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron. Theresa May wants a Brexit extension up to the end of June but now it seems Mrs May will be told what kind of extension is available, the time frame and the terms and conditions if one is available at all. Let's talk about this with Finnefall TD for Kevin Monaghan Brendan Smith who's uh, the chair of uh, the Joint Directors Committee on Foreign Affairs Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us It looks as though it's humiliation for the United Kingdom well, unfortunately, today, Michael, um, those of us, particularly in the border region, say in Louth and in Mead and in Cavan and Manon, what we should be doing today is celebrating the 21st anniversary of the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. We'd all recall on that day, um, 21 years ago, it was a great day of hope for our country for the future. And, of course, huge progress has been made. And, unfortunately, with the British decision to leave the European Union, we're back to, to political issues dominate the future relationship between Ireland and Britain and obviously the uh, the relationships between North and South as well. Mm. I was in Brussels some days ago at meetings and I got the clear impression from speaking to members of the European Parliament and also speaking from two officials as well that firstly that they were they were anxious to facilitate the British Prime Minister and and the British people in having a northerly withdrawal from the, from the European Union. They were, they were hoping that that Prime Minister May and our government would be able to get the withdrawal agreement through Parliament and that then the transition period could be adopted 
and then lead on to a, a future trade agreement between uh, between European Union and Britain, because all of us are, are very acutely aware that the future trade agreement is critical for the future relationships on so many levels between um, Britain and Europe, and particularly for our own mm. country and all of our own country. But one message I got from speaking to people as well is that there was they, they didn't want this all this uncertainty arising from Brexit to continue. Because what was said to me is, understandably, Brexit has dominated the European Union agenda for the past three years. Britain have had three years to to, to prepare mm. for the withdrawal, that they, a decision they took themselves. Well, it looks like they're going to get another year now, doesn't it? Didn't. I mean, Mrs May wants the end of June. It looks like it'll be March uh, 2020, if not the end of this year, or the following March, March 21 for that matter. Uh, so uh, what will the terms and the conditions of that extension be, do you think? Well, it, well I, I'm not privy, naturally, to what, what proposal will be put before the heads of government today. But from just gleaning from, from comments um, from some of the leaders and comments attributed to to um, other governments in the European Union as well, there would be provision that if Britain was ready to go, say, in five, three weeks' time or something, they could exit, provided everything was in order. Yeah, um, and <laughs> pigs, pigs may over, fly. Not happen anyway. Yes, exactly. Pigs may fly. So what yeah. is the rea- realistic prospect? Well, the realistic prospect, um, it's going to be some time away. And, um, and I think, naturally... As a country, we would prefer if Britain wasn't leaving the European Union. We want to see the British Parliament mm. um, agree the withdrawal agreement and then have the future trading relationship between Britain and the European Union finalised. That's critical. But are they going to leave the European Union? I mean, it looks almost certain now that they're going to field candidates for the European election, that those candidates will take up seats. And they'll do nothing, that they'll contribute to a European budget, uh, but won't be able to influence how that money is spent, uh, that they will not have a veto on that budget, that they will not have a, a veto on the next president of uh, the European Commission. Uh, they'll be paying everything, they'll be taking the rules, and they'll have no role in setting the rules. It's complete, yeah, well, it's complete humiliation, isn't it? Now. First of all, if any of us are a member of a, of a, a union or a member of, a, of, of an association, and, and you're p- paying... This, your membership is based on the same requirements as the other member states, then you should have full participation roles until the time you would leave. Mm. Now, if the European Union expects Britain to continue to make its financial contribution... Well, then leave. I, I, I mean, isn't this what Europe is going to say tonight? If, if that's the position, the position you're outlining there, that that would be reasonable, well, if that's your position, well, then leave. Uh, because we're not going to have you in here dictating the direction of the European Union. We're not going to have you dictating how the cap uh, is is allocated uh, or, or other European money is spent or do anything that can disrupt the, the, disrupt the workings of the European Union? Yeah, well, I, would conf- I would have confidence in the other 27 member states that Britain will not dictate within the European Union. Um, absolutely not. And that's not the way any member state should be. Um, absolutely not. Now, at times, and I would be critical myself of the influence of some of the, of the, of the larger member mm. states, and I often think that maybe the views of the smaller member states haven't been given the due cognizance and recognition that they needed at different times. That's, that's another day's discussion. But could I just say is mm. the, the, the continuing uncertainty in yeah. relation to when will Britain leave? You know, 
there comes a time when difficult decisions have to be made that you have to put a target date. Mm. So that there are. Now, you take businesses in Louth, Me, Cavan, Monon, or north of the border as well, our neighbours north of the border. Mm. And we all know in our daily work, we know of firms, maybe medium, small enterprises, sometimes larger enterprises. But I know from, from my interaction with people who are running small businesses, be it three or four employees up to 20 or 30, some of those firms had planned on the basis of expanding, mm. expanding their export market. That has all been put on hold due to no fault of the companies or the individuals, but because of the uncertainty that has been created. So we need to get back to normality, don't we? I mean, if you were working on a, a factory line producing nuts and bolts and the person who puts the nuts and the bolts comes in and says, I'm leaving, I'm giving you a month's notice. Uh, it's quite probable or possible at least that somebody will say, look, we'll fix up now, go now, uh, and we'll pay you up to the end of the month. You don't have to work it because we want somebody to be there and to know with certainty that the nuts will be on the bolts when we go to sell them. Yeah, and, and we, we, need, we need certainty and, and an orderly um, outline of what's happening in the future. Like it's a major decision, a, a, a very large member state of the, of the European Union leaving. It hasn't happened before. It's clear, first of all, from the word go, that the, that the British government, that the then government led by Mr Cameron, did not uh, prepare the country for the referendum. They did not outline all the circumstances that would pertain if Britain left the European Union. Mrs. May then has continued with lack of preparation, I would think, um, in regard to trying to win over the House of Commons. First of all, she had a working majority, and Mrs. May called an election, and then she ended up in a minority position. At that time, she didn't even try to bring the main opposition parties on board. At that time, she should have gone and tried to work across the House of Commons. Mm. And only it's less than two months ago since she went on the offensive and attacked the MPs for not backing her instead of trying to win them over. she, she has a majority. She, she does have a majority, as a, a spokesperson for the French president said yesterday. She has two majorities. She has a majority against the deal and she has a majority against a no deal. Yeah, but but what way? Well, it, it depends. What you take the House of Commons? Should the House of Commons is now dictating the House of Commons business? Mm. Generally, in the past, it was the government of the day set set the business. You've had unprecedented decision, uh, unprecedented um, situation. Now is that that um, actually proposals put forward by members, backbenchers in the main opposition party, extremely capable and good people: Yvette Cooper, Hilary Benn, Dominic Grieve, who, who's a Conservative MP and former Attorney General. Those people have, have spoken so much sense and who, are, who have been opposed to Britain leave the European Union, but they have been trying to put forward proposals in the House of Commons to ensure that they wouldn't leave with an, in a no-deal situation and that there would have to be an orderly withdrawal by Britain from the European Union. Mrs May, it was something like yesterday, I think 177 of her party's MPs um, either voted against or didn't partake in the vote in which the opposition won overwhelmingly. Twelve ministers voted against yeah, that, that, that's absolute chaos. We can talk about Prime Minister May not having charge of, of not having a majority in her support in Parliament. At times you wonder, has she even a majority within her own government? And this is at a time when critical decisions have to be made. And when there's uncertainty in Britain, that's bad for us. We're neighbouring islands. We're major trading partners. We're a major trading partner of Britain. They said a huge amount of product to us, and that's often written out of the script that Britain's our big market. It is our big market but we are also a very big market for Britain so we have a mutual um, 
we have a mutual dependency on, on each other, purely from an economic point of view, and also from, from the point of view of being neighbours and, and the political institutions, North and South, all of that as well. Now, the message I got from Brussels at my meetings was that, that the European Union has other major issues to address. The, Brexit dominating the agenda that other member states and other speaking individual members of the European Parliament, they did not want this uncertainty to continue and Brexit to continue to dominate the European Union agenda. Look, at we, the last thing Ireland wants to see is mm. Britain leave the European Union without a deal. We know of the catastrophic yeah. catastrophe that would well, arise from that for all of our island, for Britain and indeed for Europe as well. Well, if that happens, it'll happen the day after tomorrow, as I said uh, at the outset. That with seems the indications from, from and I only can go from from yeah. what I heard mm-hmm. through through media mm. and through speaking to some other people since since I was in Brussels, mm. speaking to some people by phone, and that is the indications are that the European the council the heads of government today mm. will will give permission for for a further period, and, and most likely in line with Donald Tusk's uh, suggestion of a twelve month extension up to the end of March next year. Uh, I think that's uh, why yeah, well, I met Mr. Giver. Staff, who's the European Union's, who's the European Parliament's lead negotiator and who has been extremely strong and a great advocate of ensuring that the interests of the island of Ireland were protected right from the world go. And he reiterated that very strongly in a, in, a, in a broadcast with the National Broadcaster the other day. But he was of the opinion, and I, I clearly gathered from, from his comments to me was that he was, he was in favour of a shorter time. I don't know what's the dynamic. Mr. Tusk naturally has, has, has I, I would assume, has the understanding of the heads of government before he put that proposal before a meeting. I'm sure the President of the Council doesn't come up with a proposal without having considered with, with other heads of government in advance, actually, I would think. Mm. So it, it would look as if Mr. Tusk's proposal would be the one to go before the, the heads of government today. And it looks as though... Uh, the British won't be leaving uh, on Friday, uh, won't be crashing out, uh, and uh, unlikely that they'd be able to, uh, to satisfy uh, the conditions laid out in order to leave in June, so 12 months from now. Uh, Mrs May has lasted as long as she has up to today, Wednesday, the emergency summit uh, meeting. Uh, will she last the week? Well, I don't know, but, but, I, but maybe... And I hope I'm wrong, but maybe if 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 there's you what has been suggested is a 12 month extension, maybe the British Conservative Party will turn immediately to the idea of deposing Prime Minister May. Mm. So if you're if you're into raw politics, then but she will. I mean, I mean, they they will. I mean, she she, she she's as good as gone now, isn't she? Unless she she can come back with the June 30th date, uh, that time frame, she 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 doesn't stand a chance of surviving. Yeah, well, Prime Minister May is. is weakened. That's very clear to all mm. of us now. I, I'm not going to comment on the internal mm. workers of another political party in a different jurisdiction than ourselves, but it's clear that she doesn't command the, the majority support of her own party. But I don't know who, who's, who in succeeding her will command that majority support either. No, because but because it, it's a very it, divided party and even the Labour Party, the main opposition party, is, is, is divided in its opinions in relation to Brexit and that's from the war go as well. Mm, but it, it's how Brexit will continue to dominate and to, to bring about uncertainty over the coming weeks and months because we go into a general election uh, 
uh, well it's bound uh, to be uh, the issue that uh, the election will be won or lost on. Yeah, sure, it'll be a rolling referendum mm. in regard to yeah. Brexit, any elections in Britain. I'm sure the local elections that, that, mm. that they face next month and the European elections in Britain is, is contesting them and the British Cabinet Office have signed the order to enable the elections to be held I think on the 23rd of May if the elections are held it's a rolling referendum mm. but if, you ta- if we take it that some of the commentary from Britain in regard to who might assume the leadership of the Conservative Party and be subsequently elected Prime Minister my God some of those people have, haven't showed a great knowledge or realisation or understanding of, of Ireland and, and uh, North-South and Irish-British relations mm. should, should you just wonder then about where that brings us all and the prospect of the campaign in a general election let alone a European election Nigel Farage is already planning a campaign with his new Brexit party of how Britain has been betrayed by the government it really is a frightening prospect and where we go from here is very very uncertain isn't it sure in any the most civilised elections at times things can be said that are very that can't be unsaid and that can create problems for either side we have seen perhaps the ugly side of politics at some stages and some of the debates in Britain and we know of MPs and other public representatives being attacked on social media, all of that thing is reprehensible for people in any country who go before the electorate and who are, who, who, who are public representatives, but you can imagine in a very divisive political society at present, an election would be fought in, very, in, in, in a very yeah. um, bad atmosphere, a poisoned political atmosphere, yeah. that's not for the benefit of any country, it's not for the benefit of any of yeah. the European Bare Union, knuckle fist and, fight, and it really. doesn't help yeah. any neighbouring state either. Alright, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Just want to mention to you, if you're listening at home and you're wondering what's happening uh, with uh, the Oireachtas Committee, which is hearing uh, from a delegation uh, of uh, the FAI in relation uh, to uh, the management of uh, the uh, organisation. Uh, the committee is in committee at the moment uh, which means uh, that they're meeting behind closed doors uh, and uh, they will be holding an open session a little bit later in the day and we hope to uh, hear from the committee live indeed from John Delaney live when he appears before the Rockless Committee a little bit later on in the programme this morning but our, our thanks to Brendan Smith Fianna Fáil TD for Cavan Monaghan uh, who is uh, the chair of the Joint Directors Committee on Foreign Affairs for joining us to begin the programme today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the government moved yesterday uh, to close uh, the gender pay gap in uh, this country with the publication of legislation uh, which will apply initially to companies uh, that employ 250 people or more. Let's talk about what's envisaged with Orla O'Connor, who's uh, the director of the National Women's Council of Ireland. Good morning to you, Orla, and thanks for joining us. Uh, The companies will be obliged to publish information, not necessarily on the pay scales across the board in these companies, but the gap between what people are paid in these companies. Yeah, I mean, that's correct. And and the legislation is 
you know, it's very welcome. It's something the National Women's Council had been calling for. We have a pay gap in Ireland of between 14 to 15 percent, depending on how you count it. Um, and, and it isn't acceptable. And it's been there for many years and, and not it's not changing. In fact, it's, it's increased over the last two to three years. So this is one measure and it is only one measure because, you know, there are many different ways, I think, that we have to tackle the pay gap. But this is one way of, you know, so that companies have to have a transparent process so that we can see the gap that's there. But also, I think what's really critical about this legislation is that it requires companies then to produce a narrative to explain why that gap is there and what actions the company will take to reduce the gap. And and I think that is an important piece. I mean, there are problems with this legislation Mm. and the Women's Council, you know, we are disappointed the fact that the government have started this on companies who employ 250 staff or more. Because, you know, for, for many women, and in fact, the majority of women workers work in smaller companies with less than you know, 50 people. And so, for example, the Women's Council, along with many of the trade unions, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, SIP2 and FORSA, had called for it to start with employers with 20 or more employees. Um, because that would really, you know, impact on, on women workers or would show what's happening for women workers. Because the size of the company, 250 employees or, or, or more, is how they're rolling this out. It's the yeah. initial phase, but even when mm-hmm. it's up and running uh, in its final phase, you still won't be satisfied because that will only relate to companies employing 50 or more. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, and, and, and it will take a number of years to even get to 50. So I think it is disappointing that the government has started at such a high level. Um, but, you know, on, there is a positive bit to it, and that is the fact that, that it is being done at all, and we think mm. that that's important. I think as well, one of the things about the legislation is that it starts a bigger conversation now amongst employers about the gender pay gap and that and the fact that it's not acceptable. And, you know, we know that a lot of the changes for women, they are about legislation, but they're also about cultural change. Mm. And I think that this will impact positively on that because it means now in companies and, and women workers, when they're looking, you know, when they're looking to either move from job to job or looking maybe to start um, to start employment are going back into employment after they've been out for a number of years, they will be able to see the companies that have persistent gender pay gaps and the companies that are actually doing things about it. So, and I, mm. I think that will have a knock-on impact as but, well. But what is the pay that is being measured uh, regardless of the gender? Because I suppose people do different jobs and get different mm. pay rates. Uh, you could have a female chief executive who's paid far more than a man who's answering the phones, for example. Yeah, and I mean, there is going to have to be guidelines that will determine exactly what what the employers will have to report on. But we know from in the UK, for example, where this legislation is in existence. So it would be a court, like, so for example, within a company, they would show up what would senior managers, what, you know, what, what's the bands of paid senior managers would mm. be on, and then what would be the differences between women and men in those bands. Like with like, equal pay for uh, equal work type of thing. Yes. Mm. Yes, it, it, it mm. would be that within companies. But, and you would also see within companies, for example, uh, you could see this in the UK 
piece that you know you might have a majority of men in senior at senior level, so you're mm. not seeing a gap because it's all men. But then in in the um, lower paid positions within the company, for example, it might be in some of the more clerical positions, you might see a majority of women. So you'd also be able to see that as well. And I think questions would have to be asked of companies. Mm. Well, you know, why is it that all your senior managers are men? Or um, if you were to compare people, let's say on one of uh, the civil service grades, uh, it's mm. equal pay for the same grade of work, uh, in other words, but then it, you get down to what is pay. Maybe your yeah. early pay rate of pay is equal, but perhaps one or other gets overtime or bonuses That's right. or a yeah. company car. Yeah, and I, I think the issue you're raising in terms of bonuses, because we know from research that um, male, you know, male workers are argue for much greater bonuses in comparison to women. They negotiate um, higher bonuses in comparison to women and are given those by their, the company. So bonuses are really important to be included um, because we know that that's where some of the difference emerges as well. It's often, a, you know, it's the additional pieces that you've just said that they absolutely make the difference in, in terms of the gender pay gap. All right. Well, it's a, a start, I suppose, uh, and uh, we'll watch it as it rolls out over time. But uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, thanks, Michael. Uh, this morning, Orla O'Connor, Director of uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. Now, Wednesday morning means uh, that the local newspapers are in your shops. And let's take a look at what's on the front pages. Marie Kearns uh, is here and you have uh, all of uh, the local I papers have, with you this morning. And we're going to start in Dundalk with the Argus and waiting on an ambulance. That's it. Two hour wait for injured worker is the lead story in the Argus. And that's highlighting concerns about the response time by the ambulance services to incidents in North Loud after it took two hours for an ambulance to attend to a man injured at an accident at Greenore Port last Thursday. There's also a super picture on the paper's front page of seven-year-old Kiva Rose Rafferty and she's holding her own plait of hair which she had just got cut off for the charity Rapunzel which makes wigs for children undergoing chemotherapy and the look of sheer awe on her face, Michael, as she's handed the plait of her own hair speaks volumes. Very good. All right, uh, that ambulance story makes for the lead in the Dundalk leader. That's right, it does indeed. And inside on page four, the paper's reporting that there'll be local interest at this year's Blind Visually Impaired Tennis World Championships for the first time ever following Babs Weierberg's selection on the Irish team. Babs, who has type 1 diabetes and approximately 4% vision, remarkably only took up the sport of blind tennis last May. So well done to her. A serious story of road rage making for the front page of the Dundalk Democrat. Yes, absolutely, Michael. This is a rather scary story on the front page as Tia Clark reports about a man who allegedly threw an axe at another motorist in what has been described as a road rage incident at Dundalk Retail Park last week following a road traffic collision. Okay, tribute then uh, to uh, Young Life Lost on uh, the front page of uh, the Drogheda Independent. That's it, Michael. It's the funeral of Lynn Brown, that story that we covered last week about the 40-year-old woman who died tragically after falling down the stairs. Alison Cummins writing that Drogheda may be Ireland's largest town, but for one day it was a close-knit village community sharing a sense of utter loss at Lynn's untimely death. There's also a really interesting story about Carol Fraser. Many 
people would know her over the years from gala cleaners in Drogheda, who at her 90th birthday at the weekend revealed the dramatic moment she saw Adolf Hitler enter her home city in 1938. And that makes a fascinating read. Okay, uh, local experience of the housing crisis makes uh, for the lead in the Drogheda leader this week. Yes, Michael, family left homeless. That's the lead story of the Drogheda leader. And it's reporting that a young businesswoman and her three children have had to be put up by Loud County Council in emergency accommodation in a one room um, in a B&B after the, the rent in their home rocketed from 1050 in March to a staggering 1600 in April and she couldn't afford the increase. The paper reports that the woman in her 30s who has a small retail business in the town revealed her plight at the public meeting on housing which was held in Drogheda on Monday night. She said, I went from being the happiest person in Drogheda with my own little business to being homeless with three children in the space of a week. Can you believe it? Okay, the plight of a 12-year-old boy and his family are hoping to get a school place from uh, makes for uh, the front page story of the Meath Chronicle. Yes, help us find Max a school place. That's the headline of the lead story of the Meath Chronicle. And pleading for help is the O'Farrell family from Culmullen. And Casey's writing that 12-year-old Max is having sleepless nights because he has because he's no school to go to next year. The family have found themselves in a situation where the youngster who has physical disabilities is falling through the cracks because their home is outside the catchment area of any secondary school and because he didn't attend a feeder school is creating problems because he finished his primary school, Michael, in Castleknock from where the family moved a few years ago. Meanwhile, I, I couldn't believe this inside uh, special in the Mead Chronicle this week. And we all know the local elections are just around the corner. But you'd be wondering, Michael, if anyone really is brave enough to throw the hat into the ring when you read this uh, report, which highlights the online attacks that new candidates are already being subjected to since declaring. So that really is a shocking read. Okay, well, that's uh, some of uh, the stories from the local papers. If anybody listening wants to comment on them, a huge variety of stories there this week, as always. Uh, Indeed, uh, if you'd like to comment on something else you've been hearing or if there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us, you can give us a call now because you'll be back shortly with some of those comments. Our, our telephone number is 1857 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the space of ATM raids has undoubtedly uh, come to the attention of everybody in uh, the country, uh, but uh, the police seem to have very little information on it. Both sides of uh, the border retail excellence is calling on anybody who is in uh, knowledge uh, of what might be happening, whether it's before or after the event, to make that information known to the Guardi or the PSNI, as the case may be, and to anybody who's involved in construction or retail to be vigilant. Brian Rankin is Head of Public Affairs with Retail Excellence. Good morning to you, Brian, and thanks for joining us. This is a phenomenon. Uh, it's uh, shocking, uh, and it's almost impressive how these raids are being carried out. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't, we wouldn't describe retailers wouldn't just, wouldn't be impressed um, in any manner of means. But um, let's remember that uh, 11 locations uh, have been hit in the last 12 months, uh, eight since the start of the year, including um, uh, targets in Kings Court, Bally Bay, and Castle Blaney. And we came out um, a couple of days ago with a comment that re- reflecting uh, the, the sentiment of our members that they're angry, and justifiably so. 
uh, like we've seen all the TV footage uh, and when we see it on the news uh, it's dramatic and it's harrowing uh, and we see buildings uh, ripped apart but when the cameras stop rolling uh, it's the communities um, across the border that have to pick up the pieces so that's the untold story and it's the huge impact that they have on retail and, and, and business in towns and villages mm. beyond the, the targeted bank or the targeted filling station. And the story that seems to be coming to light now is uh, that uh, dissident Republicans are behind uh, these uh, attacks and uh, that brings uh, to the discussion the professional aspect of how these raids are being carried out. It does seem to be uh, they've been executed as it were in, in, a, in a professional way and that's even more worrying, I suppose, for our members and for, for retailers. Um, just to give you one example, uh, it's estimated that, that €70,000 was taken in one of the ATM robberies. So that's a huge amount of cash taken out of circulation. Uh, it has a huge impact on business and a huge impact on retail, far beyond the far beyond the shockwaves go far beyond the, just the, the, the filling station or the bank that, that's ripped apart. So mm. it, it does have, have an, amount, uh, an enormous impact, and you can be sure that there's very little shopping done in that town the following day discretionary income, discretionary uh, spend will be down. Coffee shops are going to be very quiet. So that's going to put the viability of those retailers and those businesses at, at risk simply uh, and, and, and the jobs that those businesses uh, sustain. So it's a huge amount of cash taken out of circulation. Uh, it is an impact on businesses and on, on the communities. For, for those businesses, it'll take months to repair the damage that's done with these enormous diggers ripping through the, 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 uh, the fabric of, of their building uh, and buildings and businesses that have been, it's been taken years to build up those businesses only to have them ripped apart in, in one you know, Sunday morning uh, raid. Mm. Uh, another really big concern for these businesses is when it, uh, these buildings have been repaired after months, uh, the insurance premium that they're going to have will be spiralling upwards uh, and they already have, um, they're extremely high premiums so this could simply drive them out of business as well and then mm. do they take the risk of replacing the ATMs for the future? Well we could um, have countless number of towns without ATMs as a result of it. And you're already hearing that and I think Minister Humphreys mm. has come out um, to, to say that this morning that, that is, that's a real risk and of course that's an enormous impact for, for communities. As professional as these raids are, is it too easy uh, to decide to go along with a, a digger and dig one out? I know. I don't think so. I think with the best, I've spoken to to uh, retailers in uh, in the course of this week. Uh, filling stations. We mm. represent hundreds of members uh, in retail along the border and in border counties. So I've spoken to them in the course of this week, and they'll tell me that Brian, with the best win in the world, we have the best security in the world with uh, fantastic CCTV. Mm. There is nothing you can do if this enormous digger uh, is driven at your building and rip, effectively rips it apart. And we've mm. seen the dramatic uh, footage on on TV news, mm. and it's. It's it's frightening, and it's frightening for uh, for business owners, but also for uh, people in the community that probably had hoped that they wouldn't have to encounter this type of fear again. Mm. Uh, and now it's is visited on their on their doorsteps. So Could a, a die not be put in though, uh, so that uh, the money would become useless? Uh, it, it, what they're talking about doing is, uh, and there's no doubt that uh, it's not a small matter to uh, disassemble ATM machines. I've no idea how to do it, how, mm. what, what's involved. Uh, what they are talking about is is the end of an ATM outside the uh, the, the premises, and that it's, they'll all have to be moved inside. That's going to take time, and that's going to take uh, a level of investment as well. 
uh, in the short term, it is uh, it, it means that people who will depend on cash uh, traveling from often from long distances in in isolated rural areas are going to really be hugely inconvenienced by this. Uh, more so for business, it's not just a, an issue of inconvenience; it's uh, it's really a, a, a whether they can continue to to be in business or not. So, is that possible to secure the cash otherwise? Well, I know that in cash and transit, there's mm. uh, there's there's dies. Uh, it could well be the case that, that that's uh, that's also the issue with ATMs. I suspect if 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 that were were there, we would have heard about it already from uh, you know the banking federation, etc. Mm. Uh, I suppose there's also then the other issue, which is what is this money going to be used on? What is the big plan here? The uh, first part of the story is terrible. They're taking the machines out of the walls uh, and robbing all of the money, uh, leaving communities uh, in the situation uh, whereby they may not have cash for a day or two or may not have ATMs at all or may have this inconvenience of moving them indoors. Uh, But if this is uh, to fund a a war chest to return to uh, paramilitary activity and strikes along the border, it's all the more concerning, is it not? Yes, it is. I think it's uh, it's wise not to speculate too much about this, but certainly the reports that uh, our members will have read uh, and everyone will be aware of is uh, not to put, put too fine a point on it is is that that's uh, distant Republicans or or certainly organised crime, uh, and if if that's the case and. Uh, whether whether it, this is involved in a sort of post-Brexit uh, destabilisation, uh, I'm not going to speculate on, on that. Hmm. Uh, what I would say is, at the start of your piece, you're absolutely right that what we let's let's focus on what we can do. So there's a couple of things we can do, and, we, and from a retailer's point of view, we'd ask that, that people do this. First is to uh, assist the police on both sides of the border with uh, passing on any information. So there are doubtless people who, who have information and who know a little more about this. And on behalf of our members and on businesses uh, in border communities, we would ask that they pass on this information. Uh, the other thing is that uh, these uh, diggers and uh, other vehicles have been stolen from, from yards and from construction. And we'd ask that if you are responsible for, for, for diggers or for any kind of vehicles, uh, treat these as if they're being watched 24-7 and really redouble your efforts uh, to, to lock them up and to secure them. And in doing that, I think we can uh, uh, effectively stop the stop at that source, uh, and also assist uh, on guard the Shiakana and the PSNI with uh, with their investigations. But that's something that we can do. That's tangible, um, and it will really make a really big difference. Uh, mm. And even if it if it clamps it out for the uh, in the short term, that's that, that's going to be, be be very positive. Mm. Well, they make it look so easy. I mean, uh, don't think for a second it is easy to carry out one of these raids but they make it look so easy that you'd have to assume it's going to happen and it is so lucrative uh, you'd have to assume that it will happen again and soon again. Yeah that will look let's hope it doesn't and Mm. we're here this morning to say that that, uh, everything we can do to ensure that this doesn't happen again uh, from the point of view of keeping businesses open and keeping people employed in their local communities so the jobs uh, are, are kept there that's what this is about. Um, what I would say is this isn't just a, a Northern Ireland phenomenon or a border phenomenon. Uh, in, in looking into this, um, you'll see raids like this in Maidstone, in Kent, in the south of England. It does happen elsewhere. OK, Brian, we leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us. Brian Rankin, Head of Public Affairs with Retail Excellence. 
Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Tom from Dundalk is one of those listeners and he was on to us during your interview at the top of the show with Deputy Brendan Smith regarding, yes, you've guessed it, Brexit. And Tom wants to say that you are right, Michael. The UK cannot be allowed to dictate to us as they have been doing. They want another extension again now until the end of June. Is it a case, Michael, that we are going to have this every month? That every month is going to be another extension and then another extension and nobody is going to be able to plan anything while they wait for the UK to decide? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. Seamus from Dundalk also phoned in on the same topic and he's wondering if anyone realises really what it's like for people who are in business along the border waiting for the UK to decide what is going to happen. They are holding us all to ransom, Michael, and I feel the EU is facilitating them. We can plan nothing. Mm. So that's a flavour of those coming in so far. Okay, well, I think there'll be uh, some conclusion or some sign of an end to it all uh, by tonight. And uh, when we come back uh, tomorrow, we'll be looking at uh, most likely a very long extension. Uh, Sometimes you have to wait longer than other times for things to happen. uh, And a referendum on the provision of water services is a long time in the making. And it's been kicked down the road uh, according uh, to Joan Collins, who's uh, the Independence for Change TD, who proposed uh, that there would be a referendum held on this. Uh, she joins us now. Good morning to you and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, this is uh, back to the planning committee today, is it? It was due to go back to the Housing Planning and Environmental Committee today, but it has been cancelled. And why is that? Why is that? Because... The minister wrote to the committee last Friday requesting that they defer the committee um, and he needed six out of eight of the TDs to do that, to ask for the deferment. And the three Fianna Gael TDs, including himself, the two Fianna Fáil TDs and independent rural um, TD voted to defer. Okay, well, little surprise uh, in uh, the TDs you mentioned supporting uh, the minister. Well, we had spoken to Fianna Fáil um, and uh, um, got support from them, uh, along with Owen O'Brien, to put the bill back into the committee agenda a couple of weeks ago. And now they've done an about turn and they've literally um, condemned the bill now to a life imprisonment in the committee. Um, unless we get it moving again. So we'll be working on that over the next period of time. Well, that was always the expectation, was it not? Well, not really. What we I, I wrote a letter mm. to counteract the minister's letter saying that we wanted to progress the bill, that the minister had the opportunity uh, to come into the Doyle on the fourth stage of the bill with an amendment, and he also had the opportunity to do it at the Shannon stage, and that we would work with him on it if, uh, if, if, if he got the amendment uh, wording uh, from the AG. Now, the minister could not commit as to when the AG would have the wording. This is now two and a half years on... 13 months since last March when Fianna Fáil gave him two months deferral from the mm. committee to come back with a wording. Um, so this is just a Fianna Gael government along with Fianna Fáil kicking the can down the road again um, because this this amendment would certainly challenge uh, the government's agenda for Irish water into the future. Uh, the government has its own concerns about unintended consequences, doesn't it? 
They do, and we um, uh, propose to the Minister that the government bring in enabling, enabling legislation to um, deal with those issues. Um, and that has been done in all um, bills, the repeal the eight bill, the divorce bill that's coming through. There's been enabling legislation attached to them. So that can be done, and we said that we would work with the Minister on that um, in relation to any unintended consequences that the, uh, the AG are. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. ...themselves could see, um, and we're not opposed to that. And we know there is mm. concern among the private water schemes mm. in relation to potential nationalization of their, of their water schemes. But this bill just specifically addresses public water system. It doesn't address, it doesn't um, include the, wa- the private water schemes, the public water schemes. Okay, because uh, the concern is uh, relating to group schemes and uh, private schemes uh, and uh, if they would be taken into public ownership as a result. That's Yeah, that's what I said there. Um, but our bill specifically makes reference to the public water system. The public water system stops at a private water scheme and, and those water schemes then have control of that water. And the government has, and the, and the EU directives, um, ensure that that water is of at, at high quality um, through directives. And it's not our intent in our bill, and that's why we would support the government in bringing enabling legislation to, um, to uh, clarify um, where the public water system starts and finishes from the point of view of private uh, water schemes. Uh, and if it was... Uh to be adopted, would it mean uh, an end to the idea of introducing water charges? Um, That's not the purpose of the bill. The purpose of the bill is to protect it from privatisation. We know that the the water has become the new oil. Um, All over the world, private companies and big institutions are um, privatising, are facilitating um, uh, private uh, water and making a lot of Mm. money out of it. Um, and charging people who cannot afford it. There's water poverty all in all the countries they brought it in. Even in France, they've started renationalising some of the uh, private uh, water uh, companies because um, of the problems it's causing in communities. Um, we don't have water poverty here because there are no charges, and the mm. people of this country went out in their thousands demanding um, no water charges, no water meters, because they knew that was a the next step to privatisation of our water and demanded um, a referendum on our public water. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to do and this government and Fianna Fáil are trying to avert that. But the um, government could if it chose to introduce water charges. Well, they, they managed in the legislation introduced um, two years ago 
to bring in the the cap um, that anybody that uses over a certain amount of water will pay for it. How they can implement that, we don't know because nearly half the houses don't have water meters. Um, but they left within the legislation, and we opposed that this part of it, that it could either um, go up or go down the amount of uh, uh, litres of water that can be used before it's charged. Um, we know that is the backdoor for them to try and bring in charges in the future. Um, we know that this government, previous government, nearly four times in the last 25 years, they've tried to introduce water charges, and the people have resisted it. They will try again, but this um, uh, bill um, would protect um, our public ownership of our water uh, management and maintenance of our, of our water. Okay, look, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Independence for Change TD. Joan Collins, now we're going to go to the Oireachtas. Uh, the Oireachtas Sports uh, Committee uh, is uh, hearing from the FAI this morning and uh, the FAI President, Donald Conway, is currently addressing the committee. The Board of the FAI to conduct an internal review of the Association's books, records and ledgers. They have been on site at the FAI since last week, and I will reference them further uh, in my statement. You had also asked for the person filling the position of Corporate Affairs and Licensing Director. As you know, John Delaney has been appointed Executive Vice President. This is in order to effectively utilise his skills and connections at UEFA and FIFA level. In the view of the Board, this will be to the benefit of Irish football. In his place, Rhea Walsh has been appointed Interim Chief Executive Officer and the Board thanks her for stepping up to this role at short notice and at a difficult time. There has been no full-time person appointed to Ms Walsh's former role as yet. If I recall correctly, you had asked for that person to be present, but we haven't filled that appointment yet. In relation to Sport Ireland, at the outset, I wish to put on the record that no disrespect was intended to the Committee or Sport Ireland by the Football Association of Ireland's letter of last week. Sport Ireland has been and is a very important stakeholder for us. Its financial support and advice to us over 20 years has been unstinting and we were honoured to become the first national governing body to move on to the Abbottstown campus. I know we have much to do to rebuild trust and confidence in the Association and we are committed to achieving this as a board. The Association notes the comments made here last week by the, committee of, by the Committee and Sport Ireland and acknowledge your concerns. The Board of the FEI met on Wednesday in a scheduled meeting. The Board regretted that it was not in a position to assist Sport Ireland with answers to its questions before Sport Ireland attended the Committee. We have met since with Sport Ireland and continue to engage with them. We have emphasised to them that we are moving as fast as we can, being mindful of the complexity of the issues involved, including legal issues, and the need to ensure that all statements we make are accurate and our internal and external processes are fair and robust. No disrespect was intended by the lateness of the letter of the 2nd of April to Sport Ireland or indeed its brief contents. I apologise for this and accept more information would have assisted Sport Ireland and the committee. The steps we have taken, Mr Chairman. The Board is seeking to fully address the concerns and many steps have been taken to do so and established a requisite detail for Sport Ireland and for your committee. The Association has established a subcommittee from amongst its Board members which is working closely with the FEI's external advisers and auditors to urgently address these matters. <clears throat> on governance, 
you will be aware that the FEI has a governance group which has assisted us in making some changes in compliance with the governance code. A number of policies and procedures were improved in 2018, including a code of conduct for board members, a schedule of reserved functions, a volunteer's policy and a conflict of interest form. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Chairman. Okay. This is uh, Donald Conway, the president of the IFA, addressing uh, the Oireachtas Committee live this morning. The association held an EGM this year, where it voted to limit board members to eight years' service in line with the government's governance code for community, voluntary, and charitable organisations. <coughs> Minister Griffin said on February the seventh. Just a, is there a page missing? Yes, I. I yeah. Okay, they seem to be uh, a little bit confused there. Uh, we'll come back to that meeting in a, a few minutes' time. Uh, we'll take a, a break, uh, and uh, I'm sure we will be hearing uh, from uh, John Delaney, who is sitting in uh, the Oroctus Committee Room 4, where this proceeding is underway. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, before we went to the break, we heard a little bit of uh, the proceedings in Lancer House with uh, the FAI in front of the Oireachtas Sport Committee. The President, Donald Conway, uh, a little bit confused, uh, reading a prepared statement uh, but missing a page. Uh, they broke off uh, to find the page, got through it, uh, and during the ad break, uh, then uh, he said he wanted to read into the the record, the view of Grant Thornton, uh, who's been auditing the FAI affairs, its view of the €100,000 payment from John Delaney to the FAI. We were told originally as a bridging loan what it was for uh, is another day's work. Uh, but Grant Thornton has its view. He was about to read that into the record, uh, but we don't know what that view is yet uh, because the chair of the committee, uh, Fergus O'Dowd, has suspended hearings for 10 minutes. They've gone into private session behind closed doors now so that they can read the view themselves. It hadn't been submitted to the committee in advance so we'll return to that hearing uh, a little bit later on. But let's return to some of your comments now uh, and uh, you've uh, more calls that have been coming to us uh, this sure morning, do, Marie. Michael. Marie from Drogheda phoned in. Just staying with Brexit uh, for the moment, if I can. She's aghast that there doesn't pe- appear to be a plan in place for the border. She says if the worst does happen and the UK crashes out on Friday with no deal. She fears that we're leaving a lot to chance. Are we not, she says. I'm sure we are. (laughs) (laughs) Michael. But I don't think that's going to happen. No, you Mm. don't. It doesn't appear so now, definitely. Mm. Well, I I won't say definitely because we can never say definitely. No, I don't think we can. No. Uh, Mike, where for democracy after Brexit, if a country decides to vote for something and Mm. it's not accepted, what is the point of voting at all, Jack wants to know? Well, I I think it's a question of did they know what they were voting for or what the consequence of it might be? And I would imagine to a large degree the answer to that is no and probably no. So I think it's a a different prospect or a a different uh, issue that people would be asked to vote on which is the Mm. reality of the situation that they find themselves in now with the Prime Minister humiliated going around Europe looking for a begging bowl, looking Mm. cap in hand, looking for the 30th of June being told most likely to be a longer extension. The Brexit Secretary this morning saying he doesn't want a long extension. I don't want to see a long extension. The Prime Minister doesn't want to see a long extension. That is why the request today is to the 30th of June. 
That's Steve Barkley speaking to the BBC earlier this morning. Very good. Fran says uh, uh, Germany, he feels, are dictating the rules. Democracy does not count anymore. Well, I'm not sure it is, uh, Germany. It seems as though it is more like France uh, that is uh, dictating the rules and insisting uh, that it'll be uh, either the 30th of June or else uh, there'll be strict terms and conditions attached to a longer extension, including the United Kingdom running in the European elections. As a contingency, we need to prepare, both as a government and as a party, for the European parliamentary elections, because this is the reality of a parliament that, to date, has refused on every opportunity to support leaving the EU with the deal that the Prime Minister has negotiated, with the only deal that the EU says is on the table. So we are preparing as a contingency for those parliamentary elections, but it is still our intention to try and get a deal through, to get the legislation through, in order to avoid the need Mm. for them. Yeah, and preparing for elections, it's it's mad, isn't it? It's funny you should mention Mm. that because Mary actually phoned in just wondering about that particular issue. She was saying if it's extended until June 30th, does that mean that they will have to run candidates in the European elections and if they do would that not be a complete waste of time if they go at the end of June? Well I don't think it will be extended until the 30th of June because if it is they probably won't have to run candidates uh, because uh, they'll have uh, agreed a way out okay. uh, I think uh, but uh, it gets all the more confusing uh, but it, it does look as though they will have to run candidates and that they'll be in for the long haul and there'll be a lot of strict conditions attached like having no veto over how the European budget is spent or not uh, having a veto over who becomes the next European commissioner or Mm. uh, limited roles for their 73 MEPs. Uh, I mean, uh, it really is humiliation. It's not setting the rules but Mm. living by the rules. And wouldn't it be very interesting, Michael, if they do run candidates... Mm what kind of appetite there'd be come election day? Oh, there'll be like, war, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, there'll certainly be a verbal war or a proverbial war uh, as to whether there'll be physical violence. Uh, I wouldn't be too surprised. And even in terms of people going out to vote, mm. would people even bother voting, you'd wonder? Hold that thought, Marie, because uh, we're going to actually go back okay. to the Oireachtas uh, because I think we might be able to hear the view of Grant Thornton on that €100,000 payment. The following day, Wednesday the 26th of April 2017, a request was received by email from one particular creditor who was entitled to draw down funds from the association for just such a drawdown. The financial director made contact with the chief executive officer via email proposing to lodge the cheque for €100,000 to the association's bank account in order to honour the request for drawdown from the particular creditor. This request was acknowledged by the chief executive officer and payment was made to the particular creditor. The Board acknowledged that the circumstances of the above €100,000 transaction was exceptional and the repayment was subsequently made by the Association on the 16th of June 2017 to the then Chief Executive Officer. No contract or agreement was entered into between the Association and its then Chief Executive Officer and further no interest and or charges have been levied are paid by the association in respect of the transaction. The board, having been informed of the €100,000 payment, further acknowledged that disclosure would be made in the necessary financial statements in accordance with the required accounting treatment and requirements of the Companies Act. The association has since embarked on a review of its internal control processes and procedures in order to ensure 
that a situation of this nature could not arise again. Now, John will also address this issue in his opening statement. I'm, I'm sorry, just, just on point of information, uh, do we have an opening statement? If you want a copy, we can circulate as well I after, after Donald finishes, I, maybe. I just want to be very fair to everybody. Yes. This is a fair... Uh, yep. respectful meeting and you, we treat you Okay, this is Fergus O'Dowd asking John Delaney if uh, he has submitted his opening statement in writing to the committee beforehand it uh, appears not and uh, he seems to be saying that he will make one available if necessary uh, I take on board what you're saying and be, be fair and, and, and uh, do due process and everything okay. so um, if you want to read it now um, I, I'd be happy if we adjourn until we get a copy of it uh, I think we should adjourn uh, and we'll get a co- unless you have copies with you. Um, yeah. Okay. The president's address first. I just want to be clear. Okay. It looks like there will be an adjournment. They'll hear more from uh, the IFA president Donald Conway and uh, adjourn before hearing from John Delaney. That's the way it appears at the moment. Uh, we'll be monitoring it here in uh, the studio throughout uh, the morning and bring as much of it live to you as is possible, and certainly as much of John Delaney's contribution live to you uh, as it happens if that uh, is possible. Uh, You have some more comments for us there. I have indeed. Um, Charlie from Navin phoned in and says hasn't Brexit cast a big cloud over Ireland to the effect Michael that I feel our own issues are sliding down the scale on news items. At the moment we've just found out that the overrun of the children's hospital is even higher than what was expected and Brexit still seems to be dominating. Mm. Hospital waiting lists are back up again and Brexit still seems to be dominating. I'd say the government's delighted (laughs) (laughs) because it's taking the heat of other issues. I don't know. (laughs) So that's his thoughts on it. I couldn't imagine that to be the case. I'd say uh, the government would be delighted if uh, Brexit wasn't on the agenda. Um, James from County Mead phoned in on a different topic, uh, the ATMs and the robberies uh, following your interview with Retail Excellence. And he says, I'm, I'm from, he's from County Mead, mm. he says, I'm a simple working man, but it appears to me, could it not be organised that, uh, he says that most of these incidents are happening during the night, and could it not be organised that cash be removed from the machines maybe at 12 midnight, which would be a time that most people in rural areas would probably mm. be and I don't know about that but anyway that's what he's saying he's saying very few people would be looking to use the ATM after that time and then maybe refill again at 7am when there's plenty of people moving about again mm. just wondering would it be a solution it says James maybe but uh it's when they take the machine and all the cash in it away at the same time. I'm not sure it matters uh, what time uh, they fill the machines up at. Jim says that the ATM robberies are very hard on re- retailers and that uh, a lot of retailers that have ATMs on their buildings are very fearful of being targeted and that he feels that more could be done to support them in terms of security and that type of thing. Okay. 
So that's um, just on that. Can Mm. I go back to something we were discussing yesterday in relation to Lisa Smith and her possible return to Dundalk? That's Mm -hmm. the so-called Isis Bride. Um, John from Drogheda is wondering, would would Lisa Smith still want to come home if her husband was still alive? He doubts it. He feels that she, she knew what she was doing when she went over there. Um, and that really she that should be taken on board. Another texter in says that she should not be let back into the country that she made her bed, let her lie in it. However, another texter says typical Irish people saying not to bring her home. What about all the Muslim refugees being brought into the country at the moment? There's very little we know about them, but we are opening our country to them and we should extend the same to one of our own, okay. says this list. All right, well, some strong feelings there and uh, thanks to everybody who's taken the time to share them with us. Uh, We'll come back to some more of the comments, uh, I think, later in the programme and we'll be returning to Leinster House and uh, that Oireachtas Committee meeting with the FAI a little bit later in the programme today as well. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing, uh, members of uh, NASRA, the National Ambulance uh, Service Personnel Association, are on strike again. The sixth day of strike. Uh, this is uh, the ambulance personnel members who are part of the Psychiatric Nurses Association, the PNA. Tony Gregg is uh, the National Secretary of uh, the PNA Ambulance Branch and he joins us now. Good morning, Chint. Uh, thanks for joining us again, Tony. Sixth day of strike. Uh, it's had little impact. Is there much point to strike action when it doesn't have an impact? Hello, Tony. Um, there appears to be a problem with uh, the telephone uh, or with uh, the desk or something like that. Uh, I'm sure we'll uh, be able to get that line back up with uh, Tony Gregg of uh, the PNA. Apologies to that to those of you listening to us at home uh, but it is uh, the sixth day of strike and uh, ambulance personnel are on strike from since 7 o'clock this morning up to 5 o'clock this evening. I think we have Tony Gregg on the line now. Uh, apologies to you Tony and uh, to people listening uh, for that break in the line uh, and thanks for your patience and coming back to us. Uh, is, uh, is your sixth day of of strike action. Is there much uh, point in striking if it's having as little impact as it appears to be having? Well, we're disappointed to, to say the least that there has been no movement in relation to the dispute. As we said the last time we were speaking, the Minister had uh, expressed um, his his wish to see a resolution to it and had been engaging with the, uh, with the HSE at the time. Since then, there has been no movement and error dispute up to now has been designed to essentially draw attention to the fact that we're unhappy with regard to the point that we're being denied our right to um, join a trade union of our choice. And we've been reserved with it to, to a certain point in, in, in relation to the action that, that we've taken and that we would restrict it to seven from 7 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the afternoon mm. and that we would have single days of action. Well, everybody um, just, the just, just, the intensity, just, the intensity just to mention, country. everybody can join the trade union of uh, their choice, uh, and that's uh, not being denied uh, to your members. Uh, it's the recognition of that trade union and its ability to negotiate. Well, you know, we, we don't expect uh, in the first instance for the minister to turn around and, and recognise a trade union. We're quite prepared to sit at the table and discuss 
an increment incrementally uh, progress to that uh, final solution if you like in, in where where we would realize full recognition what we're actually um uh, in dispute of uh, or in dispute uh, over in in relation to to what we're uh, taking part in right now is is that the minister would recognize in the first instance our right to be represented by the union of our choice mm. and that is causing difficulty for members it's not it's not actually a recognition issue it's uh, an issue in, in, in terms of fairness with regard to access to due process and procedure. And that when our, our uh, members who have decided to be uh, members and represented by PNA would be able to have their PNA representative present their case in terms of grievance processes and disciplinary procedures that may be brought against them. Mm. At the moment, that's been denied. And when they turn up at these hearings, they're being informed that they're they, they're in fact not represented by a recognised trade union and in some cases they're not allowed to bring their case forward. In those instances what we've had to do is to go outside of the internal process and bring uh, individual cases to the uh, WRC for example mm. where we find that the HSE put forward preliminary objections on the grounds that the employee is not a member of a recognised trade union and therefore the case shouldn't be heard but the adjudicators and the judges in, 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 in these forums overrule uh, that preliminary objection and the case takes place. The, that reasonable... In the same way the case would take place if you took the case yourself without trade union representation. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. if an individual is competent enough to uh, go forward to the WRC to, to, to take a case and present and articulate their case forward to an adjudicator mm. to decide... Um, that's fair enough. But in, in, in a lot of cases, uh, um, people rely on trade unions to bring their case forward. Mm. No more than you would expect uh, an individual to go into a civil court and represent themselves. Well, it's a serious you know? escalation of a problem, I, I, I gather, as well. In most cases, uh, that you have something that could be dealt with internally that uh, has uh, gone up to the WRC for resolution. And, and unnecessarily so, because mm. we find... We find that most of these cases, 95% of the cases that we've taken uh, to the WRC have been found in favour of the complainant. Mm. So the cases that they've taken forward have been validated uh, on decisions and recommendations that we have found in those uh, arenas. And there is absolutely no reason why a reasonable approach couldn't be taken internally to those problems. It's a complete waste of not just the HSE's time or the actual paramedics' time, it's essentially a waste of our time in terms of, of trade union activity. We could be promoting, um, you know, terms and conditions. Mm. We could be dealing with other issues. It's it's unnecessary, uh, and it's it's really just an obstacle that's been uh, put in front of us by the by the HSC in terms of finding resolutions to individuals' problems. When these problems can can be solved in a reasonable manner with regard to dialogue and following the processes and procedures internally that we have. Okay, but are, are these... The also of the WRC's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. have, have but, other stuff to be dealing with. Obviously. But are these strikes a waste of time? If uh, they're having no impact, you're not achieving anything, are you? Well, you, could, you, you, can take that, you could take that view, and our members are taking the view, a similar view, in that um, if this is not having an impact... We want to uh, increase the impact, increase the the, the, the level of um, uh, disobedience, if you like, that we're bringing to the table. And in that regard, they have uh, demanded an emergency general meeting, which we have responded to, and that will take place on the 18th of April, and we will be taking 
the feelings of the members uh, to the to the board, um, and I expect that they'll be they'll be looking for an increase in in the action that we take. Okay. So we we have been reasonable up to now. We're we're, we're still open to dialogue. We're still hoping that the HSC will see sense and discover that it is reasonable to have dialogue and that is the form of resolution that, that should be undertaken. Um, but if we're if our members are unhappy in that we're not having the impact that we, that, that we require and that it's not resonating with people uh, in the HSE that we should have some reason brought to the table, well then they're quite entitled uh, and, and it's appropriate for them to put forward uh, a, a proposal to increase the intensity of the dispute. And it's this is this is a member-driven mm-hmm. trade union, which is part of the attraction of what we do as a trade union. Um, in that we don't run the union from the top down; the union is run from the bottom up. And when the members come to us and say we want an increase, increase the impact with regard to what we are doing, because what we are doing doesn't have the impact we require, well, then we respond to that and we take those proposals. So I would say we will have an impact uh, or an increased impact increase. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the action that we're taking over the next few weeks. All right. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll be hearing about that in uh, the coming days, as you say. We'll leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us, Tony Gregg, National Secretary of uh, the PNA Ambulance Branch. Now, as you heard earlier on LMFM News, the Garda investigation is underway into an uh, narson attack on three cars in Knockbridge. Fianna Fáil TD and resident Declan Brannock is on the line. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. What do you know about this? Well, uh, just as much as I suppose your excellent report from uh, your newsroom, uh, the incident happened sometime before 12 o'clock last night. Uh, I think the purpose of my coming on your show, Michael, is to condemn uh, this. Uh, my understanding is that it's uh, an attack on uh, Member of the Garda Shirkana, or indeed members of the Garda Shirkana, in relation to the vehicles, uh, and I want to condemn it outright. I think any attempt uh, by thugs and criminals uh, to intimidate the Garda, or indeed officers of the state, uh, is to be condemned. And certainly, as a local resident of TD, I feel it's appropriate that I would do that. And are you associating uh, this with uh, the recent criminal activity that was uncovered in Knockbridge? Uh, no, I am certainly not, uh, but. The, the fact that criminality exists, and particularly along the border region and uh, my home area, or indeed the areas along the border, none of us are immune to this. The issue here is that uh, toggery and criminality invites this intimidation, not just to Gardaí. We had this in relation to the drug scene with families in Guadalajara, uh, and it's a growing concern of mine. And uh, I am reliably being informed that this is not a one-off incident. Uh, there are other news reporters who are quite concerned uh, in relation to intimidation. And it tends to maybe uh, you know, not come under the radar because, naturally, mm-hmm. uh, there, there are families involved here of these officers uh, uh, and the reporting. And, and what we're doing this morning is, while highlighting it, uh, obviously we need to protect uh, the individuals who are being intimidated. The Garda have procedures there. I'm told that a lot of the reports uh, don't
uh, in unfortunately our communities where there are people who will use the opportunity uh, to defraud the state but also uh, to intimidate those who are protecting our society. But you believe this was a, an attack done intentionally against members of Angarda Shia Well, that anecdotally again, that is what has been uh, rife in our community. The issue here for, for us is to allow the investigate that and I'm quite sure they will be able to gather the evidence. Uh, in relation to that, but there's certainly uh, a deep suspicion uh, that this is an attempt to, uh, I suppose, off-foot uh, members and to obviously tell them uh, that they know where they live and otherwise. All right. Uh, well, widespread condemnation, uh, uh, I'm sure, uh, across uh, the community. We leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us, Fianna Fáil TD, for Loud, Declan Brannock. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Sinn Féin once again brought forward uh, a bill uh, to the Oireachtas uh, last night calling for an amendment uh, to the Constitution, a referendum uh, which would see an amendment made to, to the Constitution which would enshrine neutrality in the Constitution. Lynn Boyle and Sinn Féin MEP is uh, the party's lead spokesperson on neutrality in the European Parliament. Good morning to you, Lynn, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. As I say, this is not the first time that Sinn Féin has tried to, to enshrine uh, neutrality in the Constitution. Uh, it's uh, something that has been tried many times over a number of years. Absolutely, and that's because we know that poll after poll shows that the Irish people are very proud of their neutrality and want to continue that position of positive neutrality and the, the positive record that the Irish Defence Forces have had and peacekeeping and political parties, including Labour, in, in the past have given a guarantee that if they went into government, they would support uh, such a referendum. So we will continue to bring it forward. Um, mm. and, and it's more important than ever now because we're seeing the shift in the EU um so it's more important now than ever that Ireland would have its neutrality enshrined in the Constitution. Is it more a question of uh, defining what neutrality is? Well, no, we have a definition of, of neutrality, which is positive neutrality, um, which, you know, so it's not about turning your... your back and, you know, putting your fingers in your ears. This is about engaging uh, in peacekeeping. And the fact that Ireland has a a proud record of that, and we've been able to negotiate in the past uh, in in peacekeeping, we've been able to Mm. negotiate around, um, you know, nuclear uh, proliferation, all of those treaties, because we are seen as honest brokers. If we continue to go down the path that Fine Gael particularly are taking us on, which is to relentlessly erode that sort of neutrality, um, that then puts us in a difficult position as peacekeepers, as honest brokers. And I think that most Irish people would say we want what we are known for, which is peacekeepers. Yeah, but uh, is it as simple as that? I mean, did we not align ourselves with Hitler against the British, if you like? No, look, I mean, you can go back over the past. Well, that's the point. This is about the future. and, and what, what, uh, But the that's, that's what I'm saying. Up. It is about the future. I mean, what do we stand for now? Are we a neutral country or how do we define neutrality? Because uh, what we stand for is made up of who we were in the past, does it not? No, it's about us being peacekeepers and active on the international stage as peacekeepers, as mm. honest brokers, not as anybody who's going to prop up uh, imperial wars that go back to the past, which is a lot of what the EU is about. It's about the, the big countries that have very, very profitable arms industries and they have pasts 
that are embedded in post-colonial conflicts. I mean, if you look at the example of what uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has signed us up to in PESCO, um, one of the examples that's given us the sort of uh, things that the EU would like to be involved in is the conflict in, in Libya was given as an example. Now, that's been a complete disaster for the region. I don't think that any Irish people would want to see our troops involved in that type of a conflict. Instead, we'd like to see our troops involved in resolving that type of a conflict. Mm. Uh, and we may end up involved in that kind of a, a conflict. Uh, this is uh, something that the government has been accused of uh, by uh, the former Count Corla and indeed Minister for Defence Sean Barrett who says uh, that he doesn't understand why we have to be seen to be running with the big boys. And, and rightly criticised um, on, on that position because two countries who also are neutral within the EU have not signed up to PESCO. So Malta has not signed up and the Danes have not signed up. So Ireland wasn't expected in all of the memos that were released before PESCO was established. It was assumed that Ireland would not sign up and that they would take the position of Denmark and Malta. But instead we have the Fine Gael government who are determined to run with the so-called big boys and, and prop up, uh, which is effectively the arms industry. I mean, it, it, for, for mm. people particularly in where LMFM and listeners there will be very aware of how important the cap is for uh, for people in Ireland. The cap budget is looking to be uh, slashed at the same time as we have Fine Gael MEPs supporting an increase in military expenditure of up to £13 billion. Mm-hmm. So this is where the EU is going and that benefits the big countries that have a particular interest around the arms industry but also about their, their post-colonial conflict. Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, what Emmanuel Macron was talking about uh, when he was talking about collective sovereignty, wasn't he? Yeah, and Emmanuel Macron and Jean-Claude Juncker and Angela Merkel have all talked about the, that their vision is to have an EU army and we're seeing step after step taking us down that road and absolutely with the support of Fine Gael. I mean, only recently the Fine Gael MEPs launched a document, a discussion document about giving up Ireland's neutrality altogether. So at least in that sense, they're being honest about their intentions. When you look at them in the doll, they're saying, no, our neutrality is safe. We are a neutral country. If we are a neutral country, then let us have the referendum and let us enshrine it in the constitution, which is what the majority of Irish citizens want. Mm. Uh, but at what cost? Uh, I mean, uh, we're enjoying great support from our European partners who may end up being our European military partners, but we're enjoying great support for them. Is that the price uh, for support in the Brexit negotiations? Well, I think we'd all be very naive to say that the EU is is supporting us just for the good of of solidarity, because that's not how the the, the leaders within the EU work. It is uh, politically expedient for them to, I suppose, show solidarity with Ireland at this particular time, because one, they want to send a very strong message to other countries that have a rise in Eurosceptic parties that don't even consider trying to leave the EU. So there is that element of it and and we would be naive to think that that's not the case. But we shouldn't have to sacrifice something. If the EU is supposed to be this club where we cooperate, where Mm. we show solidarity with each other, then let's see that if we get the solidarity on Brexit and that it is genuine, then we're not sacrificing either our neutrality and we're not sacrificing our corporation tax and our tax sovereignty. And they are two issues that we need to stand firm on. And I think that you'll find that this government will be very quick to defend uh, our tax sovereignty 
because it suits them and we've seen what they've done with the Apple tax and they don't want the 13 mm. billion there. But why are they not so keen to defend their neutrality? Yeah, and that's well, the question that they have to answer. Well, we may end up with uh, a European minister setting our, our budgets uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, if that ends up being the future of, of Europe, uh, will we regret uh, being on the European side and not following the British suit? Well, I think the, the issue here is that the, the, a lot of people say that the EU makes decisions and we've no say in it. We do have a say in it. We have representatives in the European Parliament and we have representatives at the EU Council level. When it comes to changing any uh, finance policy or whether we have a, an EU Minister for, for Finance, which is something that Sinn Féin would absolutely be opposed to, uh, we have a veto at the Council level around our tax sovereignty. And what we're saying is that we should be using the same strength as which the Fine Gael government is doing around tax sovereignty, they should be protecting the neutrality. Because whether they want to erode neutrality is not the issue. The vast majority of Irish people in poll after poll have said they support neutrality. And the political parties of Fianna Fáil and the Labour Party and the members of the Independent Alliance have all said in the past they support neutrality. So if they support us, then let us have the referendum and enshrine it in the Constitution and and withdraw our support for PESCO and stand with the other neutral countries of Denmark and Malta. Okay, Sinn Féin MEP Lynn Boylan, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Now, before we leave you this morning, uh, we're going to go back uh, to the Oireachtas Sport Committee. Uh, They're meeting in Leinster House with the FAI as we speak. Now, John Delaney hasn't spoken yet, uh, but uh, the President of the FAI has concluded his opening statement uh, this morning and uh, is now taking questions from Fine Gael TD Fergus O'Dowd who's uh, the chair of the committee and we should be able to hear a little bit uh, of what's being said now. I just want to be, to be fair to you and be fair to the taxpayer. So the question now is if the committee agrees that Mr Laney's statement will be circulated uh, we'll adjourn for 20 minutes we'll resume in 20 minutes uh, the meeting is now suspended till then. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> that goes back uh, to that issue. Last time we checked it in uh, with uh, the committee and uh, they had asked if John Delaney's opening statement had been submitted uh, to the committee in writing in advance uh, and he said he would make it available to them, a written version of it available to them uh, if uh, they wanted it. They obviously did want it and that's what they're going to read over the course of the next 20 minutes or so and uh, they'll uh, return then and we'll be hearing more from uh, that uh, Transport, Tourism and Sport Committee later in the day. But that's where we leave you for today because our time has run out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon if you'd like to listen back. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmac Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmac Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CartmacCrossCU.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.